Hi there, this is Dan Delta Collins. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and also youtube.com slash wanderingdms. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan. And on this episode of Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about our Appendix N, the literature and the inspirational resources that Paul and I, the Wandering DMs, find most critical to our fantasy D&D games. And what so huge thanks to our patron, Bill Rubine, for suggesting this. And uh, like I said to Paul a couple minutes back, this is something that almost, I mean, we constantly call ourselves people of the book, or at least I do. Um, and it's almost like this could have been the very first episode we ever did. And it's so <laughs> close to us that that we needed someone else to point it out as a great topic for us. So huge thanks to Bill for saying that we should, we should discuss our personal uh, literary inspirations. What a great idea. Yeah. 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 Excellent idea. Now, of course, we've done... Uh, uh, we, we did an episode, I believe, uh, with the publishers of Appendix N, right? Um, we, yeah, we there did. you go. With, uh, with yeah. Peter, Peter Bebergal, who, who edited, who edited that, that wonderful, wonderful I book, uh, I think last year. <laughs> um, last week we were talking to Ramsey Campbell, who was one of the writers of the Swords Against Darkness series, uh, which is, uh, listed in, uh, in Appendix N. Uh, we previously we had an episode talking to the Goodman Games guys when they had their uh, Dying Earth boxed set game on. So it's something we come back and probably a whole bunch of other stuff that that I'm forgetting uh, over time. So it's something we keep coming back to time and time again. Dan, Dan, I've I've I've, uh, I've forgotten to close my door. I'm going to stand up and do that. But while I do so, give us. I'm sure most of our listeners don't need this, but give us the the the, the quick <laughs> elevator pitch on what the heck is Appendix N. So, so specifically, the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide by Gary Gygax uh, ends with a number of appendices, and there is, in fact, an appendix N uh, titled Inspirational and Educational Reading, and there's a list of fantasy authors and fantasy books and stories there uh, that he says is most important for the sensibility of D&D. A lot of pulp stuff on that list from, like, the 1930s, 40s, 50s, actually, um, and so we, we continually go back to that and it's a lot, you could spend a long, here, here is the list from the original mm -hmm. appendix N, um, and you could spend a long time <laughs> trying to read this list of literatures. And some of us, some of us have spent time trying to compile a library that contains all those things. I certainly haven't yeah. done it yet. Um, and, and other authors, of course, uh, frequently have inspirational reading at the end of, of, of rule books uh, a lot, but uh, the appendix end, we are talking about Gary Gygax's first edition list. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I was actually surprised when you, when you showed me the screenshot uh, of how short it is in AD&D. Um, I, I immediately okay. thought of the basic uh, uh, inspirational source list, which, you know, is quite a bit longer and is, uh, broken down into mm -hmm. sections such as young adult fantasy, Adult fantasy, uh, uh, short story collections, nonfiction, um, and then you and I quickly went on a tear there of like, what other editions does it exist in? And we found it in in, in fifth edition, and um, actually fifth edition even goes so far as to include um, an appendix of 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 things on like 
authorship and 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 create creative writing sort of in the in their DMG, which is interesting. Um, anyway, regardless, third edition didn't you know third edition D and D didn't have it. If I recall correctly, Goodman Games uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics has, I think, Appendix N just replicated, just a copy of Appendix N. And then immediately after that, they have Appendix O of modern online resources like blogs and resources and internet tools and stuff like that, which is very helpful. Now, the, the, the fascinating thing for me is when you, when you, when you told me uh, this topic, uh, the first thing that came to mind for me was actually some recent news that came through on the internet um, about the upcoming Dungeons and Dragons movie. Uh, for those who aren't aware, there have already been three Dungeons and Dragons movies. None of them are very good. Um, uh, the, the 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 buzz on the internet that I've heard is that maybe this one is actually maybe going to be okay. Um, and um, uh, specifically, Chris Pine, uh, the actor who's in the movie, uh, was in an interview and uh, asked about it and he hemmed and hawed a bit for trying to not like accidentally give any spoilers, but uh, said this of the movie. Uh, the way that I've been describing it, it's like Game of Thrones mixed with a little princess bride and just a smidge of Holy Grail. Um, so I find that fascinating because again, here we are referencing inspirational works and um, you know the, the the question or the problem. I feel like the problem with the past Dungeons and Dragons movies is that D and D isn't really a, a, an IP. It's not a it's not a setting, right? Like if you're making a movie about Dungeons and Dragons, right? Um, I don't think you can just make a generic fantasy story, maybe with a couple D and D monsters in it, and call that done. Right? I feel like the the the, the content, the setting of Dungeons and Dragons, is the game itself. So. I want to see stuff where we are actually juxtaposing a fantasy setting against, in some way, a real world setting. Um, and that's what I found that quote just fascinating because he quotes Princess Bride. And that's the first thing that comes to my mind with Princess Bride is, yeah, that there's actually, you know, there's there's bits in that movie that are set, you know, they, they play with the notion of this is a story, right? This is a, there's a, a grandfather and a child in modern day and they're reading uh they're reading a book together and the book is the story yeah. yeah and it's interesting that the first two of the three things there are originally books right so princess bride mm. was originally a book and game of thrones the uh, uh the, the fire and ice series was originally books and of course they became wildly popular uh, movies or tv series but originally <laughs> they are literature and so it's interesting that um it is interesting that they're pointing back to um you know book sources which mm -hmm. is a, a, a good move, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what. Yeah, I, I, I guess. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, does it matter if it's? If, I don't know. I know. I know you love your quote of it being of being. Uh, 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 what is it? People of the book. We're I'm, I'm not book, sure that Paul. that. I, I don't. I don't know that it being a written medium is necessarily the most important thing. But I do want to see it acknowledged that this is a game. That this is a, a a fantasy. That this is a a not real thing. I don't want to. I want to see some I, elements. I, of I, I, some I will be surprised. Real world if, fantasy world. I I like you know I I like the the Princess Bride's meta uh, framing myself. I I am going to be really surprised if they actually put that in a D and D movie. I'm going to be yeah. That will be. I I will be very surprised. I don't think that's. I, I doubt that that's 
That's interesting. I would be very uh, surprised if I yeah, could see that. My intent wasn't. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to like make uh, predictions about what the movie's going to be like, but it's interesting that he that he called it right, that he called out Princess Bride yeah. as a, as an inspirational yeah. and 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 Holy Grail, yeah. frankly, because Holy Grail is silly, uh, right? So I'm assuming that's what he's at, getting at with Holy Grail is the is the yeah. humor aspect. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's fascinating. And, there, and there's a lot of that in Princess Bride too. So let's talk uh, about let's talk you, about our yeah. yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Paul. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to ask you, Dan. What's what's your you know what are your inspirational readings? What 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 do you read or watch or what content when you're done with it makes you go? I want to play D and D now. Okay. Now, a I fear that we've bitten off too much in this episode. I'll say that. So I fear yeah. that we're going to yeah. get down to this and we're going to we'll get a tiny little slice of the of the important literature. And currently, to my left, I have I, I pulled out books from my bookcase and have completely covered my my desk, about mm -hmm. six or 10 books high here of, of stuff that is important to me. And probably we'll, probably we'll be leaving out a whole bunch of stuff accidentally and feel embarrassed about it later on. So please viewers, tell us, tell us in the chat important <laughs> stuff to you that, um, that I'm overlooking. Uh, I mean, my first app is, uh, there is a, there's a lot in the actual Appendix N that, yeah, mm -hmm. I do in fact want to go back to the touchstone and there is a lot of sensibilities in the D&D game rules that uh, aren't written down. And you do have to do a little bit of investigation, maybe by someone like, like me or Peter Bebregal or John Peterson or something like that. And then all of a sudden, when you find, when you find the, right, the right touchstone, all of a sudden the rules or a spell or magic item suddenly make a lot more sense that's in D&D. So, um, so the, 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 the top ones... I feel for the for the magic sensibility, I'm really, really glad that I read Jack Vance's Dying Earth. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In particular, I love the fact that in the very first book, Turgeon of Mir, he, he explicitly says magic is mathematics. And I almost feel like I don't dig into that. Like I, that always makes me want to dig into that more in my games. And I haven't I haven't done so yet. But if you're going to understand how the magic spell system was set up, obviously you need to read Jack Vance. And then the other thing yeah. that Gygax calls out uh, in specifically in the magic me... section. Yeah, go ahead. I, I just want to dig into to Vance and Dying Earth just a little bit more. Um, uh, yes, the magic system for sure. Uh, the other thing that strikes me about very D&D &D about that is, um, is just cudgels attitude right he, he this this kind right. of uh you know self-absorbed you know uh you know trying to get trying to get Maybe ahead well. by whatever means yeah yeah i mean that 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 strikes me a lot of my D, &D games circle around characters like that right yes. that that yes. that the players are always trying to angle for self-promotion more more than other things I, i've not played a lot of games that are you know sweeping epics about saving the world um which is again, maybe, maybe some people are playing a lot of games of D and D that are like that. But that that theme that theme for me strikes home. Uh, on the flip side, I'll say the downside to it is that it centers around a single character, which is not like a D and D game for me. Yeah, and so uh, so I think that something that so you know, Cudgel is is a is a is a is a very interesting character. Fafford and the Gray Mouser might be a better, even better. Um, emblem of what D&D &D is like. So when I read 
um, Faffer and the Green, the Gray Mouser by uh, by Lieber. <laughs> and it's funny because uh, last week Ramsey Campbell brought up Lieber. We didn't even <laughs> mention him before before Campbell brought him up as being an important author. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I when I read a number of Faffer and the Gray Mouser stories, like Jewels in the Forest, Stardock, Howling Tower, Bazaar of the Bazaar, stuff like that, that stuff feels more like a D and D game than anything to me. And of course, it predates it predates the game, yeah. um, right? So that's the stuff that very, very much feels like D&D game for me. And it's a team and it's episodic. Now, the other thing I will say in these, you know, episodes, so a lot of the original literature is pulp short stories. And, you know, frankly, later in life, I've become more convinced that it's those episodic pulp stories that are really a better a better resource or, or something that's actually, I enjoy reading more than novel like length stuff. And a lot of these authors like Lieber, like Moorcock, right. As the publishing industry evolved, started writing longer form stories, started writing novels. And I find me personally that they're not as uh, valuable or intense or dense with content as the short stories were. So me, you, nowadays, you almost have to hunt for the short story versions, but I find that they're really more like the game, which is not too surprising because we're playing the game, you know, week after week in these these separated segments. Yep. I feel like the 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 classic kind of counterpoint to a lot of what you're talking about here, whether it's episodic content or um, mm-hmm. you know, or or, or just uh, thematics of uh, um, sort of the, the the moral compass of the characters, um, is Tolkien, right? Like, let's 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 talk a little bit about Tolkien here, right? Because Tolkien, obviously, there's a big history of Tolkien D and D. A lot of the original stuff had direct Tolkien references. Clearly, Tolkien was very popular when D and D came out, but then there was all this pushback to like scrub it from D and D. But all all that aside, uh, and specifically, I want to talk about Lord of the Rings here, which I've got up here, The Fellowship of the Ring. There's some good stuff in here in terms of like, yes, wizards and dwarves and elves, and and it's about a team, right? A group going off to do a thing. Um, but I would say on the flip side, some of the stuff that gets wrong for D&D is it is sweeping and epic and about, you know, uh, sort of, uh, you know, personal, um, you know, the, the, the personal internal struggles of Frodo to, to overcome this, this, this peril, which I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like I see that in D&D games, right? You don't see Frodo trying to resist the ring in D&D much. I, uh, I agree with that. And so as usual, Paul, you have... So the thing that I actually have on my list to, to talk about last, this is going to be my my, yeah. my denouement, the last thing I was going to mention was Lord of the Rings. Was and so the as Rings? usual, you picked what I considered the most important thing first. Um, <laughs> so good for you. Um, okay. And of course, you know, Tolkien and Lord of the Rings are on Appendix N. Yep. So sure. if, you know, someone argues that it's not part of the legacy of, of uh, D&D, it's totally in Gygax's Appendix N. And uh, before D&D was ever published and Gygax was printing some stuff in hobby magazines of we're starting to do some kind of uh, strategy war game stuff, what we're bringing in fantasy elements specifically from Tolkien is what he said. That was the very first, yeah. you know, fantasy yeah. elements that he was bringing in and talking about. And my horrible, guilty confession is uh, I haven't managed to read Lord of the Rings yet. Um, and I've tried 
Uh, I've tried about three times, frankly, and I get a little wow. bit long. I get a little bit further into Fellowship of the Ring every time. Uh, and honestly, I still haven't managed to do it. And it's so embarrassing for me. Now, I love The Hobbit. OK, I've, I've read The Hobbit, you know, more than once. And our pa- I think one of our patrons, Joshua, probably about a week <laughs> ago said, you know, The Hobbit really works a lot better for D&D, The Lord of the Rings. And I certainly agree with that. Uh, let me pull up a, a, a message here. Um, uh, in, uh, in fact, uh, yeah, here you go, Joshua you go. said, I actually think The Hobbit is far more like D&D than Lord of the Rings is. I totally agree with you on that, Joshua, 100%. Uh, yep. And, and yep. per- personally, I would even say for my own taste, I would even say it's a better book. But um, yeah. but yeah, yeah. It, it does read too. like, you know, it's the themes are a little bit more in line with D&D. Now, the one thing I'll say Again, just just to just to be devil's advocate here, what does it get wrong? Uh, is it about a party? Is it about a group, or is it just about Bilbo? I, if I was if if I was trying to imagine the Hobbit as a D and D game, I actually envision it as a DM and a single player, and that player is playing Bilbo, and he's got thirteen <laughs> henchmen, and they're you know uh-huh. it feels it feels very That's... early D and D to me, right? Like okay, it well I, I can't go alone, so I hire right thirteen dwarves. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. And you know, let me let me throw up a a, a, a chat, a, a good observation from uh, Eric Worldbender here too on that. Um, so Eric's saying, my first Lord of the Rings was the Bakshian ranking Rankin Bass Hobbit. I uh, hadn't even started reading yet, and I'm pretty close to the same thing, Eric. I actually had uh, a teacher in the sixth grade read the Hobbit to us, like maybe a chapter a day for a couple months. Um, and I also uh, saw that same movie you're talking about, and I had the record. I had the audio LP <laughs> record of the Rankin Bass Hobbit, and I played it over and over and over again to the extent that I remembered a lot of the lines and how it's either delivered, as a matter of fact. So I think the Hobbit's great. And you know another thing, Paul, that you might you might possibly overlook is that the Hobbit also has a lot of meta connections. There's a lot of places in the Hobbit, and to to our understand, Tolkien sort of made up that story on the fly as a, as a bedtime story for his kids or something like that. And there's a lot of places in The Hobbit where they go, well, reader, I'm sure that you can guess what happens next because it's very obvious how this puzzle needs to be solved. Can you tell us how it gets solved? Right? And there's a lot of this There's a lot of this meta commentary coming through, framing it as a clearly a story that's being told that I, I think hmm. gives it very, very nice texture that's missing from Lord of the Rings. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. That is a good point. That is a good point. Uh, I didn't even really think of that aspect of the Hobbit of it sort of playing with with the voice of the narrator, but of course it does. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it even opens yeah. with that, right? Like, I suppose right. that hobbits need an introduction, right? And then let me go and let me go and describe to you what a just, hobbit okay. is. Let me just throw down <laughs> one book here um, yeah. that yeah. Um, I, I don't think it is actually in um, Appendix N. But the, the, there's a there's a there's a novel called uh, The Worm Ouroboros by uh, E. R. Edison, and it predates a lot of this stuff. Written in 1922, and mm-hmm. so this is a point where you didn't have a fantasy section in bookstores. It's prior to The Hobbit. It's prior to Lord of the Rings, and again, it has a, a fascinating framing device that's actually kind of troubling. And I think about it a lot. Is it starts in a very unique way. And it ends in a completely mind-blowingly unique way. And I, if you haven't read, if you haven't read the Worm Ouroboros, it has so many interesting ideas for fantasy stories and warfare and castles. And it it just 
and the the end, I've never to the I've never seen a story or a book that ends the way that this one does, and I I highly recommend it. Um, I'm so glad I read that kind of late late in my life. Yeah, uh, that's that's so, so it's a very vague recommendation there, Dan. So that is that it, you're thinking it it digs into that concept of of what we're talking about with the the separation of narrator and 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 the actual characters in the game or in the in the yeah, in the story. It's a, I, I feel like it kind of laid laid down a bit of a, a tradition, or, or it's it set a bar that is, is almost impossible to reach again, as far as completely mind blowing frame <laughs> shift from where you start into a world, into a story, and then back out at the end again. Um, interesting, and it's uh, yeah, it's very it's that one's a dense that one's a dense, interesting, full of ideas book. Hmm. I've got I've got some unusual things to toss at you, Dan. Uh, now this is I got some some later stuff uh, that is clearly influenced by the exist that is like bringing in the existence of role play in D anD D into the into the into the actual framing. Um, but that's I feel like those are the two elements that I want to see that I really want to see are I want to see a team like it's like of all the old stuff in the original appendix and only I think Lieber gets this right of with ha having having at least a, a duo with Fafford and the Grey Mouser yeah. rather than just a single protagonist. Um, and then I want to see playing with the sort of duality of of the real world versus the the fantasy world. Maybe maybe you get a little bit of that in um, Paul Anderson's. Um, Oh, help me out here, Dan. Uh, That's the classic um, one. Uh, Paul Anderson with the... With uh, three the, Hearts and Three Lions, right? Three Hearts, three hearts and Three this, Lions, yeah. Right, yeah. And go. I highly recommend yeah. this. Again, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Paul, because for my, I've often said, for my money, this has the densest source of D&D &D ideas, and it's got basically... It's basically the source for the D&D &D concepts of paladins and Scottish-speaking dwarves and swan maze and holy sword <laughs> and how trolls work and um, mm -hmm. and on and on and on and as you say it starts with a real world person being drawn and alignment I, right, I the, the whole idea of D and, of D, D alignment basically comes out of this book basically um, as and werewolves and how and how elves the fact that elves are both fighters and wizards come out of this book um, and on and on and on and on and on um, and and you're right it, it has that same framing device of a real world person a real world fighter in World War two being dropped into a fantasy world and having to fight an analogous battle against evil yeah. forces there. That yeah. is a critical book. If you haven't read it, you've got to read that if you're a D&D player. Um, all right, here's, here's a book that, that's actually come up in the stream uh, several times in the past for various reasons. It is The Sleeping Dragon by Joel Rosenberg, first book in the Guardians of the Flame series, very specifically about a group of college students playing a fantasy role-playing game. I don't think they use the words Dungeons and Dragons, but it's obviously Dungeons and Dragons. And um, and they get transported into the actual fantasy world. They inhabit their characters, and the whole goal their whole goal is to escape back to the real world. Uh, grittier than one would expect. A little right, like I, I it toys a little yeah. bit with the idea that like actually fantasy world's pretty horrible. Um, yep. uh, but uh, you've got. You've got that duality of the real world versus the fantasy world. You've got uh, it's, it's based is a group to you know there's there's a group of protagonists, not just mm -hmm. one. There is kind of a main character in it, but but there's still a, a party of players uh, of characters. Um, and it just I don't know. It, there's definitely some stuff in this book that's a little dated. I don't remember exactly when this book came out. Uh, there's there's some concepts that are maybe a little cringy in it, but um, but it's strong. I think it's a good it's a good book. 
Yeah, I read okay. that uh, in, in a number of books in the series at the same time as you, Paul. And, uh, you know, it was it was a strong concept at the time. D&D &D was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, undergoing its first explosion in popularity. So it was a strong concept has that same idea of real world players being dropped into the into the, the game world and you kind of you know you, there's there's party that kind of wants that kind of wants that as a fantasy actually um, and I think I think many of us the uh, the series um, uh, the, the first book was the strongest one the first one or I, two books was probably the strongest I want to I want to say that it's maybe five books in total, but I my my instinct was always it should have ended as a trilogy. Like I think the first three yeah. books are good, yeah. and that's where it should have stopped. Um, and then yeah. so so I would say read read the first three, and then you're done. Yeah, forget the fact I, that, I, that I agree extra books that. are made after that. I agree. With um, that. You yeah, know, it's like, yeah. and it's a lot like movies. I've heard, you know, the 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 iron uh, law of movies it, for um, series is only the last one loses money. <laughs> and you know, and, and it, uh, so so Paul, I see. Uh, I'm looking online here. I see there are ten novels in that series. Ten. What? Really? Jeez. Yeah. I think I only own yeah. five. I think the the fifth right? one is yeah, one. Yeah, me like, too. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> if I hadn't if That's I hadn't funny. looked it up online right now, I could have believed there was five. But yeah, there's there's a tenth uh, published in two thousand three. I see. Uh, title and the title will... was not really the prisoner of Zelda. Zenda, mm -hmm. sorry, not really the prisoner of Zenda. Hmm. <laughs> uh, much more recently, uh, I read uh, Critical Failures by Robert Bevan, uh, also a series of okay. which there are a surprising number of books. Uh, same basic concept, group of modern players uh, playing a game called uh, Caverns and Creatures. Um, I, I would say clearly playing third edition D&D uh, in the first book, at least. Um, get transported into the fantasy world. Uh, in this case, it's played for laughs. Uh, it is a highly comedic book. Uh, some, of the, some of the humor is a little puerile, I will warn, uh, warn you. But, um, but I enjoyed it. I... I, I cackled uh out loud while reading this book i have i have uh, so many books here on my desk i'm trying to the library here that's interesting i had not that's one i had not heard about paul i'm glad you told me no that. yeah yeah you should uh yeah. I, i'd recommend it i'd recommend it i definitely there there are moments in that book where i just you know and there, there's some very good in jokes for for folks who are familiar with D in there uh, but again, I would say my, you know, my, my warning is like, you know, if you, if you, if you don't, if you, if you're, if you're not amused by uh, dick and fart jokes, maybe not. <laughs> so here is, so on that same kind of theme of um, uh, same basic era as the Guardians of Fame series, um, uh, and, and another, and another story that has a real world person falling into the fantasy world. Here's something that was really amazingly important to me at one point in my life is I think when I was around 10, I think for Christmas, uh, one of my aunts went to a bookstore and got, well, here's a fan. Here's the beginning of a fantasy series. I think Dan will like it and got me the first book in the Thomas Covenant series by Stephen R. Donaldson. And of course, the first mm -hmm. book here is Lord Fowl's Bane. Um, I think that, you know, up through the 80s, there were two trilogies. There was a first trilogy and a second trilogy. Now, if you're talking, you know, 
gritty. Frankly, this was too mature for me at the time. Okay, this mm. actually this this actually screwed me up for a number of years. Frankly, just as I was becoming a teenager, to be perfectly frank. Um, and the the main character is you know a, a troubled anti-hero and the very first thing he does in in the fantasy world is is, is a, uh, a horribly traumatic crime frankly um and the rest of the series is is colored by his um uh, blasphemous violation that that he did uh so 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 really dark in some ways it's a uh you know mature retelling of Tolkien of Lord of the it has a Lord of the Rings sort of echo in a lot of ways and there are um you know citizens who kind of sort of echo elves and there are citizens that kind of sort of echo dwarves under different names and the lead character does have a magic ring that almost never works for him um and uh and, and I I I I guess I like it um, there's lots and lots and lots of stuff you could pull out of here to be used in D&D games. I really do like the first two series a lot. Um, and the funny thing about both those trilogies is I like best the middle book. For some reason, the middle book of the two, of the two trilogies, you know, they've set the premise and then he can kind of go off in a really unexpected, surprising direction, be very flexible. And then the third book, he's got to rein it back in and have the conclusion that was planned. And um, so the, 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 the Ill-Earth War in the first series, book two there, and also the one tree in which people are questing over the ocean and it's a seagoing adventure, really, really, really captured my imagination. And I like those series a lot, even though it frankly kind of emotionally traumatized me for a number of years. So I have mixed emotions about it. Probably read that about <laughs> twice, two or three times, I think. Fascinating. I've not read it myself, so I don't. I don't have. I don't have much to contribute here, but I certainly know plenty of people uh, who do sing its praises. I might not recommend it. Be re I mean, honestly, I don't think I can read it again. And and the, the, I mean, that was really fascinating. That was really my introduction to fantasy stories, right? And at the time, you you buy you buy novels. That's what's in the bookstore. And now I think that I have been convinced that short stories are a, a more punchy art form. And I think I would really rather prefer reading short stories. And those are, frankly, big, long, dense, wordy, uh, not the fastest paced uh, books. I'm not sure I'll ever read them again, frankly. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I got a, I got a, I got a weird one here for you, Dan, that I'm sure is not on your list. And I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that you've never heard of this. Ready? <laughs> that is the 1986 comic book. Crossed swords. You win. You win, sir. I have. I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, Sam, I, I don't. I, I mean, this is this is uh, nine-year-old Paul in the comic book store, willing to buy just about anything that looks remotely Dungeons and Dragons related in any way. Mm -hmm. As far mm -hmm. as I can tell, in my in my research, I don't know that there was ever an issue two of this thing. I think maybe oh, really? this is this is it. I think maybe this is it. Uh, the art's wow. not fantastic. It's a, it's not the best not the best artwork I've ever seen. Um, it's uh, uh, the, the the writing is okay, um, but uh, what 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 jumps out uh, about this for me is just how D and D it is. I mean, clearly somebody was playing D and D, and they were like, "Let's make a comic book out of it." Uh, and this is 1986, right? So it's very early stuff, um, but. Uh, you've got uh, you've got a fight with a purple worm. You've got a doppelganger in it, 
And really, and at the end, you have got the actual dungeon oh, they no. went through <laughs> fully stocked, oh, wow. so you can run it for your players. Oh my god! Yep. Yep. Oh, yes. Yep. So you Great. can you can run this Great. thing yourself. You can run what the characters Great. went through. <laughs> um, and it's just got it's just chock full of D and D tropes. Um, you know the the central plot is an evil wizard uh, rescues these two fighters who are about to die, uh, and and then teleports them off into, um, you know, into some dungeon to go retrieve something for him or something. Something very you know feels very uh, forced. Did I run that dungeon? <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever run it. Um, I don't oh. think I've ever run it. I'm, I'm not sure if it's. Uh, um, I don't. I don't know if it hold up, frankly. But let me tell you, reading this thing as a kid, and even reading it now, I flip through the pages and I'm like, "Oh, this feels like playing D and want to play D and D after reading it." And and frankly, I'm annoyed that that I haven't been able to find an issue too because it it, it totally ends with a cliffhanger of of this guy coming out yeah. and being like, that's not me. That's a doppelganger. And now they're going to fight. <laughs> that's, that's great. Uh, yep. Of yep. course, in the eighties, uh, right. There was a, there was a long running series by Wendy Pinney, um, elf. Er, oh Lord. Elf um, uh, elf quest. Is that what it was? It feels, yeah. that feels too obvious. I wasn't going to come up with that. Um, that was, uh, and, and I, and I've never read a single bit of it, but of course I'm told that it's like, uh, you know, the, the art is kind of, um, uh, confusing in that it's like a surprisingly mature story. Um, but, uh, uh, and of course, you know, that's something that's both drawn and written by the same person, which is always an interesting take. So for, uh, for, for comics of that time, there was quite a bit of that stuff, uh, rolling around. Yep. 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 Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think we're most at the moment, we're mostly focused on stuff that's not in the actual Appendix N. And let me give a yeah, shout you want to out go back to Appendix N, to, the original. Well, yeah. maybe in a bit, but uh, oh, geez. So another thing that, that you know, it's funny that maybe you might say it's not super DD, but I've I've the TH White's The Once and Future King has been a huge touchstone for me, and for some reason, I keep reading this every 10 years. So I read it first when I was 10, read it again when I was 20 and 30. I won't tell you how many more times I've read it. Um, um, <laughs> but but every time I reread it, I, I discover extra stuff, like stuff that I didn't understand what he was saying the prior time that I read it. And like as I mm. as I kind of kind of go through my life, um, I think I understand more and more of it every time I reread it. So it's that's that's a funny book that that seems to contain seems to contain multitudes that I still haven't fully explored yet. So I, uh, and, you know, and, um, you know, a couple of us mentioned, mentioned the D and D's and demigods book earlier in the chat. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that I think a lot of us discovered literature through the D and D's and, and demigods book. And of course they have a section on Arthurian legends. So for some of us, it's a bit of a struggle of how much Arthurian stuff do you put? into your D&D game, but, um, you know, there is some stuff there and, um, like particularly how, you know, how they, how the, the witch <clears throat> interacts with the unicorn that always has captured my imagination that I feel kind of needs to be part of my D&D world, frankly. Hmm. I mean, it, 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 one of the things that I feel like we, we dance around a bit here is, is that 
that sense of, of theme, right? Of like how epic versus how uh, pastiche is the is the book mm-hmm. uh, or is the story. And and I think you and I, Dan, both agree that we don't we don't want something super epic. But I would say that tastes on that possibly have shifted over the years, and that that um, yeah, more more gamers. I'm not to say all of them, but more modern gamers are looking for some big sweeping epic or um, you know something something more uh, serious in tone than than what uh, uh, what we're used to. Um, and I'm not sure that we can say that is or is not D and D, right? I, I'm not sure that it's that's that's I think the hardest thing to pin down, right? Is that is that D and D encompasses so much, right? Right? Mm-hmm. It is itself yeah. built on all these inspirational works. Uh, that yeah. how do you then reverse that and say now I'm going to make a movie about D and D? Well, it's like saying I'm going to make a movie about fiction, right? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree. I agree with your critique at the start of the show here. And as I've said a couple times, like the 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 weakness in trying to make a a, a movie about D and D is to me D and D's mechanics. Um, mm. And it does, you know, the D and D rulebook normally doesn't have places or things or characters which are, are what are your your sellable IP is. And so for me, if it was if they were making a movie about Greyhawk or the Forgotten Realms or Drizzt or Mordenkainen or something like that, that would seem like a more uh, reasonable content to actually dig into. And mm-hmm. having it be, like you say, you might as well make a, a movie of like, you know, fantasy adventure, the movie. Right? And it's, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of yeah. questionable that they really have a strong concept when they, when they do that. Hmm. Hmm. I, I hope they're successful this time. That would be that would be a pleasant refreshment. I hope so too. But it's it's <laughs> it's a it's a it's a tough it's a t- it's a tough uh, job that they've set themselves up for, right? Right. It's um, you know trying to trying to bring all of those audiences together and say like here is a satisfying thing that you're all going to be happy has the label Dungeons and Dragons on it. It's that's tough. That is yeah. quite tough. I and I agree. Like I, I don't. Why isn't there a you know Dragonlance movie? Uh, you know, spoiler alert, yeah, there's, exactly. there's a, it was a cartoon exactly. with Keeper Sutherland. Uh, but uh, we don't talk about that. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> you, yeah, you didn't know that there was an animated movie about Dragonlance? I did, I did Sorry, not. Keeper no. Sutherland, I think Lucy Liu does a voice. There's a bunch of, it was a very 90s, really? very 90s voice cast. Well, that sounds that. very good. Yeah. How could that be bad? How could that be bad? Uh, I don't know. How do, right. how do you make Jeremy Irons uh, such a, act so poorly? Uh, oh, yet, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had I had memory hold that, sir. I'm not happy you brought that back. That's, that hurt. All right, let's 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 jump back. Are there other are there is there other stuff from the original appendix N that you want that you wanted to bring up that we've uh, missed? Oh, so much, so much. Okay, let me try. Let me let me try to hit the hype. God, this just hurts me. Um, so so. Uh, uh, Oh my goodness. Um, okay, DeCamp, right? I think you got to read DeCamp's The Fallible Fiend because that's where you get the, the original D&D conception of the planes and uh, summoning unreliable uh, uh, creatures and, uh, mm-hmm. and and also just a really a great take on being a foreigner. Be like It's mostly from the perspective of the summoned alien and what it's like to be a, um, you know, have bigotry around you and have people making fun of you because you don't understand the customs 
and a really great creation of a truly of a of a completely novel fantasy world where every single kingdom is unique and completely bonkers in its own way and the citizens of that country are completely 100% comfortable that that their culture is the only way only thing that's possibly reasonable and the fallible fiend is uh, is a is a lovely lovely book for for lots of reasons like that um if you're going to if you're going to run the giant series I feel that you need to write, read the first story in DeCamp and Pratt's uh, Harold Shea series, The Roaring Trumpet. So the whole, you know, Gygax's whole uh, giant series is the, the basic concept is lifted directly out of The Roaring Trumpet down to the types of the giants and what the structures look like and what's on what level of the fire giants uh, 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 hall and stuff like that. And I feel like if you're going to DM, you're going to run that. You've got to read that first Harold Shea story. Uh, Fast from the Great Mouser, Conan, the Elder Stories, all that pulp stuff. More, 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 Paul. Let me jump in. Let me jump in here. Uh, first, first, very, 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 very quick aside. I've been corrected in the chat that uh, the Dragonlance animated movie came out in 2008, not the 90s. And uh, uh, there's a, probably a lot that I got wrong about it. But uh, uh, I don't think I got thing I don't think I got wrong about it was that it was terrible. Okay. Uh, to camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems the consensus is it was bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, for me, uh, I want to talk about the Goblin Tower. Okay. Uh, okay. Goblin Tower yeah. strikes me as very D&D. Um, you know, you've got this super interesting character whose, whose main goal is to simply not be king anymore. Uh, so he's trying to evade that. He's trained himself up in the He's kind of classic thief type, right? His like his main skill is like he knows how to like pick locks and 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 whatnot, um, and and other kind of like thiefy thiefy type stuff. But what what really what it really knocks me out about the Goblin Tower is how many left turns this story takes. That that routinely it seems like he's on the path to go accomplish some goal and just really random crap he just stumbles into. Uh, there's this whole bit about him going through a, through a jungle and accidentally coming across an abandoned uh, civilization and picking up a statuette that turns out to be inhabited by a god that no one worships anymore. And and it, I don't know. It just time after time, this 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 story takes bizarre left turns, and I'm and I'm like, what is what? Where are we going with this thing? And and for me. That is very reminiscent for me of a D&D campaign. Like, rarely does a D&D campaign for me follow a nice, you know, s- classic yes. story arc right. of beginning, middle, end, yeah. right? Right? D&D is all yeah. middle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. So, so I it's really funny like you, you bring up that particular though. aspect of the, the forgotten god idol because that appears in Michael Curtis's Stone Hell. And, and when we played that, I was... The victim. I was the victim of getting half possessed by the forgotten frog god idol that nobody worshipped anymore. Trying to trying to get my character to resuscitate the uh, the the faith. Uh, so I have I have been on the receiving end of that. Thank you, thank yeah. you, DeCamp. It's, it's um he doesn't you know in, in this case the the, the 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 forgotten god is kind of benign and wants to help. You know, he's like, great. I, I, I now I'm back. I'm up from zero to one worshippers. Woohoo! Yeah. Uh, I would love to help you, but also I'm basically powerless. Like, eh, I don't, can't really do very much for you. Um, and this is fascinating. It's just a weird, and it's like, it's like one of those things. 
I think like in a D&D campaign where you pick up some random, like what seems like a very powerful magic item. And you're like, I guess I have this now. You know, I'll stick it in right. my pocket. <laughs> It'll come up later. <laughs> that pretty totally, much matches like, my experience. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that's great. Uh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So for me, that's uh, <laughs> that's that's the classic to camp story that I that I want. Um, you were you were going no, on. You were pushing uh, past the camp. Goblin Tower is not Goblin Tower is not officially listed on Appendix N. It says it's for decamp. It says. Uh, less darkness fall, uh, fallable fiend at Al. So I will permit it. Oh, because I will it permit falls it on the show <laughs> under the under the at Al. <laughs> it sounds like a great story. <laughs> um, okay, I want to talk about one of your favorites now, which I'm shocked you haven't you haven't brought up yet. Uh, but I hear I'm bringing okay. up your appendix N again, and of course, what about Lovecraft? Well, that was I was leaving that for last year. So I, I, I always say he. I, I feel he's the root. Um, I feel that he's the root, and so many of these authors, you know, that came later were directly in touch with him, right? So he was very, you know, again, say what you want about his about his shortcomings. From what we know, he was very generous with his with his time writing to other authors and supporting and encouraging them. Um, and many of these author and other authors, when they were young, they were corresponding with with uh, Howard Phillips Lovecraft, uh, taking ideas from him. And so ideas of the old ones and the Cthulhu mythos show up in, you know, Howard and Conan and Fafford and the Great Mouser and Elric, maybe with the serial numbers filed off, as we all do. Um, and I feel like, so for me, the Cthulhu mythos, the, you know, Dunwich horror and, and also the dream quest of unknown Cadith, where he has a whole fantasy world that a real world person gets dropped into, uh, mm -hmm. are really, really important for me. And I, I, I feel it's extremely important. And again, at the bottom of Gygax's appendix N, he specifically lists like five, right? I think there's five that he says, and these are the most important of all. And he says the camp and Pratt. Uh, Robert Howard, Fritz Lieber, Jank Vat, uh, Jack Vance, H HPL, which is Lovecraft, and also Merit. So um, hmm. I, I feel that you, you know, for, for me, I feel like I had to read Lovecraft. And I'm not normally a horror guy. I didn't pursue horror. I stayed away from it. I'm still terrified of Errol Otis's art for the Cthulhu mythos in the Deities and Demigods book. But, um, you know, and, and the other thing is it's, um, I guess, how should I put this? It's, it's, uh, it's a non-biblical mythology, right? So it, it's a, it's a for, the, for the pulp literature that was being written in the 20s, 30s, 40s, it incorporates these scientific advances as we were understanding, you know, the larger universe and relativity and Einstein's theories and things like that. And a lot of these pulp stories by those guys have this um, skepticism, right? Fafford and the Grey Mouse are highly skeptical. Someone does a magic trick and they go, well, that was probably just, that was probably just mirrors or they had it on a string or something like that. They're fundamentally skeptical that there's even magical stuff in the world. And Lovecraft kind of has that. Lovecraft has fairly reasonable kind of science fiction explanations for these things that appear to be supernatural. And to me, I feel like that's very pulpy and it's very 
D&D that we can take something that was supernatural and give mechanics and statistics and an explanation to it. And it's not entirely just, well, there's magic and we'll never explain it because we actually have rules to do so. So I feel that that, that understanding of the universe is, uh, is, is very much at the root of D&D. I want to I go back and pick on a little bit. You're talking about just like horror and what, what place does horror have in D&D. Um, and one of the things I find really fascinating is we were talking a lot about, about uh, the, um, uh, the trope of, of, of having a, a, a real world, modern day real world character gets thrust into a fantasy world. And um, which, uh, you know, sorry, uh, I'm getting lost trying to connect the dots in my head. Here we go. So um, the fascinating thing is, uh, is if you look at your classic fantasy story, you have your, your protagonists in those stories, you know, just accept that the world is this way. There are dragons and elves and wizards and et cetera. And they go about their business and they do, you know, usually pretty heroic stuff, right? Um, whereas all you have to do is take a modern day character and say, this is a normal person, you know, a, a college student in the case of Rose, Rosenberg or a, um, you know, or, or is it a World War II air soldier pilot yep. soldier? Yeah, some you know in uh, yeah. uh, in Anderson. the case of Paul Anderson. Yeah, um, shove them into that world, and they just discover no, this is horrible. This is terrifying, and th- and and mm-hmm. thank goodness this stuff does not exist in the real world because it's <laughs> bad. <laughs> yeah, just just fascinating. Yeah, right? I think. Just right. fascinating. Yeah. You, know, you just need that perspective yeah. of, 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 no, no, you know, what would it be like if there really were dragons? Oh, oh, awful is the answer. Quite <laughs> awful. <laughs> I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, you know, I, you know, fairly recently I saw a blogger describing classic D&D as uh, unrelentingly gritty survival horror was the, <laughs> the essence of original first edition DD. And I was like, that's a great description. That really is very much on the nose. Is it it is kind of again, original DD, you would be massacring a fairly significant proportion of your players in every game session. And, and many people didn't bother to name their characters until they got to third level. It was so unusual. Um, I mean the, the very and you know the very mo- you know, the and, motivation and, of these characters is questionable, right? Like, like the, the the notion that you're in this world where these horrible yeah. things exist, and we're going to assemble a team of fairly inexperienced people to go into the most dangerous parts of this, to mm-hmm. intentionally mm-hmm. encounter the most da- horrible occupants of this world mm-hmm. in order to get rich, is yep. kind of shocking. Well, I I lean I mean I leaned into that in my original D games that, that that I think you can you can tell a story in which apparently the rest of their lives are arguably even worse. So apparently they must be coming from a place of poverty and yeah. possible starvation and disease and uh, horrible leadership. Uh, um, that that maybe the, the their normal life is even worse. And or at least that the the prospect of what's in the dungeon, they can um, maybe deceive themselves that this is a better option. Um, yeah. And I actually kind of lean into that when I bring new people into play into a play of original D anD. Huh. Yep. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's, that's right. surprisingly dark for uh, for a role playing game. 
Let me let me okay. Let me bring. Well, you know what? It's 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 yeah. unre unrelentingly gritty survival horror, Paul. So here's here's uh, Ash uh, kind of anticipating what I said there. Of uh, I mean, it's basically capitalism with potentially more reward. <laughs> is Ash's take. Thank you for that, Ash. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. That is sort of that. That actually is the take from players when I when I when I do my <laughs> my normal start of an OD and D campaign. They go, oh. Oh, I see what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there are people in the real world that make bad choices. There are people that make, you know, like, like I'm sure we can all think of some examples of people, people making bad choices in recently. Fascinating. Um, you know, it's yeah. interesting because like a game like just, just as a, as a counterpoint, a game like Fiasco uh, very intentionally leans into this notion, right? Of like the, the point of Fiasco is to play uh uh, terrible people with poor impulse control, right? I think is their tagline. You're playing, you know, people, terrible people with poor impulse control, uh, and then we all have a laugh at them. But I've, I don't think I've ever seen D and D pitched as you're going to play a group who uh, a, a group of adventurers who have made a really bad decision. They've fallen for this ludicrous get rich quick scheme. <laughs> They bought their 10-foot well, pole I feel, and a coil I mean, rope, and they're going down the well. <laughs> I mean, I feel that that's Lieber. I mean, I feel that, that that's yeah. Fafford and, and the Grey Mouser. They're making yeah. terrible decisions all the time. They're making terrible, horrible decisions, and they're repeatedly being uh, you know, unnecessarily skeptical and denying that what they actually saw happened. That's a common thing, is that something <laughs> happens right in front of them, and then they, they convince themselves that they didn't see it. They didn't. Right? Like, oh, this is fine. That didn't happen. That's ridiculous. There must have been some kind of miasma or some kind of sparkle in the light or something. We should, we should continue to go into this, this tower that's trying to kill us. It's physically trying to crush us from moment to moment. That seems like a good idea, right? And they do that over and over again, and they and then they get an enormous amount of wealth, and they just piss it away, and they lose it all <laughs> two days later. And then look, look how many pages have been written, and they keep doing that over and over again. Oh, that's among, so that's that among the best is examples it, of a D and D game. Here, here we are. Here we are at the with five minutes left. Uh, is that your final rec? Like, if you were going to say, read one thing, read one thing, and I've never heard of D&D, and I've never read any of this stuff before, and I'm going to go play a D&D game, what's the one thing I should read first? Are you, are you going faffer than uh, the Grey Mouser? It, it's a strong prospect. Uh, I'll probably regret this five minutes from now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but it's, a, it's a strong prospect. I think I think that might be the most D&D-type stories and attitude that I, that I know of. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. That's. I think that's that's uh, right in there. <laughs> and uh, I just. I, I. Sorry, I'm chuckling here at uh, at Vance, yeah. who's who's added uh, and shopping montages. Right. Yes. Let's. Yes. Well, I think that was the. Uh, I think that was that was a follow up to the D and D as expedition to the Amazon warehouse, just being pitched by as as a, as, a, as, a, as a possible module. Yeah. 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 You know the the oh, what, what uh, original D and D doesn't have an appendix N doesn't have a listing or a bibliography, but it is pitched as um, here's a game that if you are interested in playing Faf and the Gray Mouser or Elric or Conan, that's that's usually tends to be the trinity that is hmm. initially being pitched within the original D and D books is Faf and the Gray Mouser, Conan, and Elric, 
And that is a that is a really super strong starting point to really understanding where the where the fantasy war game was 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 being pitched. Interesting. Interesting. It'd be it'd be good it'd be a good D D party. Alfred, Grey Mouser, Conan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Throwing Gandalf for somebody. <laughs> Something like Perfect. that. Perfect. Now, before we go out, I mean, so so many things we didn't get to that's like that's important to us that that isn't an appendix end. All kinds of mythology. Okay, all, I feel mm-hmm. it's all kinds of mythology. I have read and reread. I have multiple cop, multiple translations of the Iliad. Uh, Gilgamesh is 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 mind blowing. The first time I read it, uh, the 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 Tarn. Um, the Irish, the Irish epic that tells the story of Cahulin, uh, who goes uh, to a trainer and learns a whole bunch of feats, learns the, learns all kinds of feat, the feat of cutting an apple and fighting from the edge of a of a shield and going berserk in a fjord, um, and the whole idea of feats basically comes out of this. Uh, Dante's Divine Comedy gives us all kinds of demons and devils in D anD D and basically how they set up hell. Um, so that kind of traditional literature is incredibly important too. So that could be like a whole other episode. Science fiction, right? We keep coming up with like science fiction books that are important. Uh, Alfred Bester's Stars My Destination basically gave us how teleport works in D&D. Uh, I feel, that, again, that's a, that's a hard book. That's a gritty book. It's an unpleasant main character, but there's a lot of ideas even from those science fiction books that, that became key in D&D. So all kinds of other stuff. Hmm. Let me, uh, and, right, and one, well, one more comment here from Eric, uh, Worldbender. Uh, but no clerics, though. I agree. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> a lot, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. spell casting, clergy in plate mail don't appear in almost any uh, book, any of those pulp books that I know of. That comes from uh, a different source. So, I mean, eh? I, 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 I think we see them in Howard, but they're usually trying to kill Conan. Right there, you <laughs> they're after. and they're and then they're, they're evil and they don't wear plate armor and they're not healing. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Yep. It's true. There are evil priests. I agree with that. Sure. Yeah. Like they're evil. Evil. Uh, you know, they're divinely, you know, inspired by by a god and and casting magic for sure. And are they not wearing plate mail? I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I, have I have never to, I have to think of a. I feel this like, is wait. God, I feel like there's a story that's on the tip of my. I'm just not reaching it. Anyway, um, yep. we are we are just about out of time, Dan. Any any final thoughts on our appendix N? Uh, apologies in advance for all the things we forgot. Uh, we yeah. bit off a, a huge important topic to us. Uh, I didn't mention Clark Ashton Smith. Probably should have mentioned him. Uh, Moldvay includes him. He's important to uh, Module X two. I'm currently fighting uh, Etienne Damberville in my uh, games from the Elder Times on Tuesday nights, and hopefully I'll be able to uh, defeat him. Uh, thank you, Clark Ashton Smith, for the for that tradition. Mm-hmm. And and probably a whole bunch of other stuff that uh, that I'll try to bring up probably next week when I realize what I forgot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's the key takeaway, is that our Appendix N is vast. Um, and yeah. that D and D is vast. D and D is a is a very yeah. difficult thing, I think, to to pigeonhole into saying like this this is D and D and this is not, um, uh, which makes it uh, yeah yeah it's easy to go in the direction of th- of listing all the things that inspired D and D, but then to try and take D and D as inspiration and make something out of that, I think that's really really hard. 
So. I agree with that. I tend not. I tend to want to you know take some other source as as the starting point. And when D and D starts, if, when when Dean starts, when D and D starts to become only about D and D, I find that to be less interesting. Um, and you know, I, I the, the the game is initially verbal, um, and so using words and being literary. Uh, make sense for tradition. But of course, if you're someone that takes a lot of inspiration from comic books or TV or movies, that's all great. That's all great. And maybe we could maybe we could have other people come on and tell us about what what comics or movies or TV shows I'm not aware of that uh, that I should use for more more inspiration in my TV games. All right. Well, that's that's our time, uh, folks. If you have uh, you want to list all those comics, movies, or other books that we've missed, what's in your appendix? And leave them in the comments of the video here. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, maybe that will inspire a new conversation or an extension of this one down the road for us. Uh, so, so let us know what you think. Uh, yes, please. And uh, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us, The Wandering DMs, on places like YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub and also TikTok. And we do have the handle Wandering DMs on all of those sites. So look for us there and you'll get updates. Excellent. If you um, prefer to listen to us in audio-only podcast format, you can do that on our website at wanderingdms.com or through various podcast carriers such as iTunes, Google Podcast, uh, Stitcher, uh, any, any of those places. If you are listening to this right now uh, through a third-party podcast carrier, please take a moment to rate and review us on their site. Uh, that helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, it really does. Uh, a couple of thanks here. A big thanks to Bill Rubine for giving us the idea for today's episode. And Bill, I know you just got in the chat a little while ago. You did, go look at the recording because it's a pretty good discussion. Um, and if you are interested in seeing us interview someone who was an Appendix N author, uh, please go look at our episode from last week where we did interview Ramsey Campbell, who is one of the authors of uh, the Swords and Wizardry series, which, which I think gave the idea to Bill Rubine for us to have this conversation today. So look for that for Ramsey last week. And of course, uh, enormous thanks to our patrons who support us, the Wandering DMs. If you would like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wandering DMs. And you'll see a couple different tiers, discounts on merch, access to a private Discord server, bunch of other stuff, including after party chat. And as usual, we'll be there on our Discord server to continue the video chat with our patrons live in about 10 minutes or so. Uh, are you gonna be there for that, Paul? Yep, I sure will. Cool. Oh. Uh, also look for upcoming shows. Um, I will be back Tuesday night as I attempt to put a pin in uh, fighting Atian Domberville, uh, inspired by the uh, Averon uh, stories in the D&D uh, Known World of Mystera, who is a, a 36-level mage, and I probably shouldn't have picked him for my first opponent, but I did. So we'll see if I can survive that Tuesday night. Uh, TDR is off this Thursday because we are some of us are traveling uh, to Massachusetts for our first HouseCon together, where I'm gonna be with Paul actually gaming next weekend. And then next Saturday we'll be on, I think we're gonna do a recap for the first time in three years. We used to do this a lot, Paul. We used to do, go to a convention, then Sunday afternoon do a recap, and we get to do that again for the first time this Sunday. Next Sunday. Yeah, that's super exciting. Uh, if you go back into our, our older shows, you'll see actually quite a few from the convention floor of various cons, whether it was uh, PAX or PAX Unplugged or Total Con. Mm -hmm. Uh, or 
uh, HelgaCon, which is our, our little uh, local one that we that we do every April, uh, or used to do every April. Haven't done it in two years, mm -hmm. so uh, excited yep. to finally get back to it. Maybe we'll pull a special guest or two from the from the convention in to uh, show their face on camera. Maybe. That's, that's, no I, I like that. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. So we'll report, uh, we'll report next week on what it's like <laughs> to be back uh, with, with a bunch of people actually gaming. And, uh, you know, some of us uh, are, have to get over some nerves, frankly. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not surprised about that. So we'll, we'll give you a report on how that went uh, next Sunday. Um, so we hope you'll join us for that. We are, of course, live every Sunday at 1 p.m. 1 PM Eastern time. So please join us again next week for yet another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you there.